Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business. For those of you just joining us, uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Osage Advisors is a boutique merger and acquisition firm working with uh, owners of businesses and their families looking to sell. Typically, we work with clients with $5 million in revenues or greater. Um, you know, over the last several episodes, we talked about what a seller needs to do to prepare for a sale. Uh, what they need to think about uh, going through the sales process. I thought today it would be beneficial for our audience to take a look at from a buyer perspective. So I'm very uh, pleased and happy to have one of Osage's uh, team members, uh, Jim Young, with us today. Uh, Jim has been with us for just almost two years now, uh, but he started his career out as a buy-side professional. And so, Jim, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Keith. Great to be here. Good. So, um, you know, you worked with IBM, you worked with uh, G Capital, you worked with Legrand, uh, you know, from a buy-side professional, what are, what are some of the key items that you are important to you when you first look at a deal, that, you know, that first pass, what are the things that you need to see that get you excited about an opportunity? Sure. You know, I, I know today's all about buy-side, but let me take you back a little bit throughout my career to tell you how I got started in mergers and acquisitions. So my first role was actually, like you, a CPA. And that was back with Philip Morris. And at Philip Morris, I was primarily doing due diligence work. That was my first taste of mergers and acquisitions. You know, from there, I moved into integration work at General Cable. So very different than either buy or sell. But that's how I first got involved. And eventually, I did move into IBM, and I was there for almost nine years. And IBM at the time was known for doing divestitures rather than acquisitions. And as an acquisition professional, I thought my resume was a little weak in that world. So I moved on to General Capital, just excuse me, General, General Electric uh, Capital, GE Capital, like mm -hmm. you said. And I spent six years at GE, and we had an annual budget of $5 billion. Imagine that, every year spending $5 billion in acquisitions. So we were buying like crazy in the heyday of GE Capital, and that was quite fun. And so I learned a great deal about the buy side. And eventually, as you mentioned, I, I moved on to Legrand. I spent 10 years at Legrand uh, buying businesses uh, for that uh, French publicly traded company. That's great. So... That's a great background. In fact, I learned something new today. I didn't know you started off early as a CPA as well. So, you know, again, so, you know, what are some of the key attributes? Uh, you know, let's say it's for your grande. Legrand bought a lot of family-owned businesses, right? So, you know, what are some of those key attributes that got you kind of excited that, you know, you had a criteria, your first pass. What are things that are important to you, or important to the buyer? For sure. You know, as you know, we develop a, a SIM, a confidential information memorandum. Well, I'd be the recipient of the SIMs. Right, And I'd read that material to see, from the, the buyer's perspective, would we want to acquire this business? And so the first thing I'm looking for is really product line fit. Is this a, uh, a product that my employer would want in their product, uh, uh, product line breath? Does it make sense to have this, this you know, product that they're selling? So that's quite different than what a financial buyer perhaps is looking at. And then, you know, is it a strategic fit? Does it make sense? Does it complement our existing product line? Does it fit into our distribution channel well? So these are the type of things I'm looking for, which is quite different than you know financial metrics. That's one of the first things I'm looking for. Oh, interesting. So you looked at hundreds and hundreds of deals. Let's uh, you know GE Capital, Legrand. Uh, you know, is it a is it a strategic fit? Is the product line comparable? You know, okay, those are things that you say. These are said. so. How, how about some other things? You know, when you start looking deep into a company, what are some of the other things that, you know, will kind of get you to that next step 
to get you excited about, you know, let's go. Yeah, sure. So I would see 60 to 80 uh, sims or opportunities a year. I mean, a great deal of opportunities to look at. And I'm only going to do, I'm only going to transaction on one or two per year. So it's really thinning out all those opportunities and rank uh, and stacking which ones are the best. So it has to go beyond that product line fit, right? Because they're all coming in that way. The next level of, of uh, diligence really is the financial world, right? As a publicly traded company, my, my, my employers wanted to grow their business, grow faster than they were currently growing uh, you know, prior to an acquisition. They'd want to be more profitable than they currently are. So they want to be accretive rather than dilutive on both revenue growth and profitability. So those are key. So you said you see 60 to 80 sims any given month or you know quarter, well, for right? A year. For per a year. year. Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. per year, right? So it's a competitive market, right? So there's a lot of sellers out there, um, high quality deals you're looking at. I mean, you're looking at, uh, given with the kind of companies you worked for, you're looking at very profitable, um, long-term family deals, but it's competitive. It's been competitive for a long time. I mean, I would say the market's been highly competitive, a seller's market for at least the last 10 years. You worked what we call from a strategic buyer, right? It's a, a lot of similarities, integration versus a private equity buyer. And all we hear about in the market today is PE firms are buying this, PE firms are buying that. So how did you position yourself from a strategic perspective against these PE buyers who are sitting on tons of cash looking to put it to work. And uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on how you were able to position yourself uh, against them when you were found a deal that was really attractive to your, to your, to your company. Yeah, I know. Great question. Uh, so three areas I'll touch upon uh, reputation, transparency, and cash. So the reputation as a buyer was very important to us. And for the most part, we're looking at privately held businesses. And as a public company, our reputation is very important. We don't want to see our, our name in the headlines of the Wall Street Journal negatively. It has to be a positive statement, and that will improve our business. But the reputation of being a buyer, because the seller has many options. They don't have to sell to us. So we want to make sure the buyer views us very, very positively. Now, how do you do that? That somewhat leads to transparency. They don't really know us well. And it's easy as a public company to be transparent. I can be very transparent with my public uh, financial statements where they're privately held and close, held closely to the vest. But I try to build trust through transparency and get to know them. Now, they've never been through a transaction before. They really don't know who to trust. And so, you know, as a buyer, I'm trying to, to develop a rapport so they understand you know, wh where they would fit in our organization, who they'd work with in our organization, and why they'd want to come to, to us. And the last I mentioned is cash, cash at clo closing. Just like private equity who has a lot of money, public companies do, do as well. The key difference is public companies do not rely on leverage. They pay 100% cash at closing. And so that's a big difference. There's no financing contingency in transactions with most public uh, tra company uh, acquisitions. So you hit on a couple things there, right? One is, is transparency, uh, is fit. We talked about fit a lot. I mean, fit is key to a successful transaction for our clients. And two is certainty of close, right? I mean, we talk about that in prior episodes. We'll talk about it continuously. You know, can you get the deal done? 
And so our job, Osage, uh, is to make sure that the buyer has the resources to get the deal done. And if there's a financing contingency attached to it, that, that's typically a, you know, a red mark that has to be addressed to our client's satisfaction. So, so again, like you said, the strategic buyers bring an all-cash deal in most, most situations to the deal. So that does provide some advantages to our clients if the fit's there, right? So, okay, so you've had this conversation with a potential uh, seller. Uh, they're excited, you're excited. Uh, you know, they invite you in, right? We're, we're representing, but you know, just typically they invite you in to, to meet with them, meet with the management team, maybe go to dinner. Um, you know, a lot of this is all through observation. You know, I mean, obviously devil's in the details, but observation plays a key role. What are some of the things that when you, you know, prior to like delving in to the, the, the next step, what are the kind of things that you observe that get you excited when you meet with somebody and some of the things that maybe are red flags that kind of get you a little, wait a second here, not so sure that this is not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, sure. That's a fairly broad question. So let me kind of take it in pieces. So when we're first looking at an opportunity, what you don't know as a seller is the buyer's intention. Is this a nice to have or a must have? You don't know, right? So I might provide an indication of interest in a form of a bid, but you don't know if, if I really want this, how excited am I about this opportunity? But my bid might be high enough to get me to the table. And that's what I kind of want, just like private equity. Get to the table and really do a deeper dive to see if this is a must have versus a nice to have. Um, and when I do get to the table being invited to a management presentation, or I get to meet the ownership group, or I get to meet the senior management. That's when I'm starting to get excited about a transaction. And you know, from there we can determine, is this a fit? You know, it's somewhat of a uh, interview process, but it goes both ways. Well, we might be interviewing them to see if these are people we wanna work with and run our future company. They might be looking at us as, is this who I wanna sell my, my baby to, right? Someone that I've either started myself or, or I'm a second or third generation owner of, of my parents' or grandparents' business. So it's very emotional to them. Is the fit there? And so it goes both ways. Um, so another key difference between a, a strategic buyer and a financial buyer, once we get beyond the management presentation and hopefully get into a, a, a letter of intent, where now I have exclusivity, where they've accepted my bid and we've moved on, and now I'm making steps to actually acquire this business. Now it's a must to have, right? What I'm doing in due diligence is trying to mitigate risk. That's very different than a strategic, excuse me, a financial buyer. They're looking for a return on, on their capital. It's much more of a sharpen the pencils financial review. Whereas I'm trying to understand what what potentially go wrong in this, this business down the road that I need to protect uh, ourselves so we don't end up on the, on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. And the diligence areas that we mostly come across are, are tax exposures, intellectual property, and environmental. And these are some areas that a small business owner perhaps didn't pay as much attention to as large corporations would. It's just this is a level difference of, of how they view their business versus a public company would. So it's risk mitigation. Whereas okay. a financial buyer is, you know, how do we improve the margins? How can I ensure the, the earnings are there now and I can grow the business financially uh, in order to sell it? So yeah, I'm just going to, thank you. So a couple things. So one of things that I think is interesting is, 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 and I've been on the sell side, right? So is that initial like dinner, right? That, you know, 
you know, what a the sensitivity of that initial relationship and making sure you present yourself in a way that you don't um, you know, put off the seller. You know, we've we've talked about this in the past where, you know, that initial reaction uh, to a buyer from an emotional seller can and will say, I'm not selling my company's people. I just don't like them. So here you are, you've, you've invited in for a dinner or a meeting, and there's certain things you need to come back with because you got to you know, you got to go back to your uh, to your CEO or your CFO and say we need you know either green light or red light on next steps. So how do you approach some of those things? Whether it be sales, whether it be backlog, whether it be personnel management team, of course. How do you weave those conversations a bit so that you're not putting them off? No, I'm really good at the dinner. I love dinner. So, I, I can I can attest. Yeah. He does love dinner. And that that's a very important thing to him, and uh, and um, and he's good at dinner. So, but go ahead. and it comes with wine too. So it's, it's the whole package is wonderful. You know what we tend to do though is we bring to the table a, a full team. We will bring you know our CEO. We'll have a decision maker there. We'll bring a CFO. We'll bring the the leader of human resources. We'll bring a top salesperson, top engineer, uh, all by function, even a top lawyer. And I say that because the management team that's presenting to us usually has those same functional representation. So when you're at dinner, we kind of somewhat pair them together. And so we're, we're for real. We have traveled with a large team, and we're, we're making sure that we connect, not only just on a business level, but on a personal level. You know, we want to get to know them in a more informal environment, like at a restaurant uh, or someone's home where we might cater a dinner. And we take that very seriously, that element um, a lot of other buyers don't do that. They don't take the time to get to know someone. You know, at so Osage, we make our business very personal. And that element's key in, in building a transaction and building rapport. Because quite frankly, executing a deal is not the end of a, a, of a relationship. It's just the beginning. And with a, a strategic buyer, they're holding it for the life cycle of the product, life cycle of the business. They're not selling the business, you know, three to five years down the road. This is a long-term relationship. Yeah, I think that's really important that, you know, from our perspective, from our side, from Osage's side, is that, you know, you bring in your A-team with you, the buyer. That means you're, 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 you're serious um, uh, and you're invested in making this happen. And I also think that you, you know, also the track record that the buyer brings, right? I mean, say, look, we've done, we've bought your competition, we bought this other company, this is where you fit in, this is the opportunities, these are things that are important to, uh, for you to know about us, right? So that is, is paramount from our perspective, from the, from the sell side. Now, you've, had to, you've, you've looked at the book, you've, you've looked at the sim, you've had a couple conversations, whether it be Zoom or, or, or dial-in, you've had a dinner, you brought your A-team in, and, you, you, and there you are, and then so all of a sudden, like, Something goes up in the, in, your, in the back of your brain. Say, wait a second, something's not, something's wrong here. Something doesn't feel right, right? And from and we have the same thing from the sell side, from the buy side. You have, you know, something doesn't feel right. So, give us a couple examples, like from a buyer where you were all in the whole team, and you, you know, these times valuable. You get your CEO coming, your CFO, everybody coming. People are busy, right? Everybody's busy, but you get to that dinner or that meeting, and then you you get in your car and you said, hmm. Didn't see that coming. Maybe share a few things like with us on that. Yeah, sure. Let me just go back for a moment. You mentioned reputation and uh, as a buyer. And I did mention that in passing is one of my top things. 
So, you know, reputation as a buyer is, is, is very critical. Uh, and you get deal flow because of that reputation. So if I walked into an industry trade show um, and I've already been quite acquisitive, people would know that. And so if I show up at, at a, a potential uh, business's uh, potential acquisition uh, uh, ex- exhibit booth, they're very either very excited to see me or they're not interested in me. They're not for sale. But if they know who I am and they know my reputation in the industry, that's a very powerful uh, advertisement for, for doing transactions. Now, to continue on with your, your question in, in due diligence, you know, I mentioned all the functional representation that we would have, not just at the dinner, but throughout the, uh, the due diligence itself. And what you don't see behind the scenes is there's a weekly report out done by each of those due diligence leaders from their functions. So I'm learning every week potential problems. And you're digging in and you're digging into more and more materials. And eventually those problems either you know, resolve themselves or they get more accentuated and you have to address them. You know, many pro- uh, problems can be addressed and mitigated, risk mitigated through uh, reps and warranties, uh, escrows, and other legal ways of addressing them, insurance policies, and that's fine. Whereas others are deal killers. But I think what you're getting at is also just pure instinct, pure gut feel. Exactly. Which right? is, uh, yeah, the emotional aspect of it from both yeah. sides. Right. And you know, as, a, as a deal maker, you understand that as well. You've seen a lot of problems over the years, a lot of complexities. And uh, you know, sometimes it's something just doesn't smell right. And we had one transaction where everything was going along just great. It was a corporate carve-out of a publicly traded company. They were selling division. And we were trying to make, um, you know, make things go well with this deal because they had other businesses to sell. But what, what we didn't realize was their sales growth was a little artificial. So that their year-end sales growth look, looked fabulous. But diligence continued into January and February. And what we noticed was products were being returned to the, to the, the company. Right. It was quarter-end loading at the end of, end of December, only to be returned in the first quarter. So the sales were actually artificial. And that was problematic. And we ended up walking away from that transaction. Okay. So, yeah. So the diligence team, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's working in good faith, transparency, like you said, right? We're trying to work away. How about, you know, you know, that I used to call like the last, you know, the last 72 hours, you know, the last, you're, you're, you're at the finish line. I mean, you've gone through everything. You're at the finish line. Um, and I, I we can spend yeah, 10 episodes on our podcast talking about concerns from the seller side, if you can, you give us a couple examples of, of, of all of a sudden you're, you're ready to close. The documents are almost done, getting close to signing, and then all of a sudden you said, wait. Like, you know, we all get surprises. I mean, it's, it's the nature of the beast in this business. Uh, you try to mitigate. You try to do everything right, everybody. But I always call, there's always something underneath the table that pops up. We're about transparency. But, you know, something that you basically said, I just can't move forward. We're, we're walking after you spent all this money, all this time, all this effort, and you said, we're done. Yeah, I'll give it from both sides. So from the seller's side, they generally haven't been through the process before. And so that transparency was key in building trust. So they believe what I'm telling them because I am being honest. I am being straightforward. I have built trust for a reason. And they may, may not know that doing something a certain way is typical in the industry. They might feel they're being taken advantage of and they're concerned about that. So it's calming nerves on the sell side that this is, you know, this is how it's typically done, even though it's very uh, uh, unusual for them to, to, to appreciate what's being asked of them. 
they're in a very uncomfortable position. It's also very emotional to them, right? It's, it's their money that they're about to receive. It's their business. They're about to be incredibly enriched with, through this transaction. So there's a great deal of, of emotion and, and nerves and that need to be settled there. Uh, on the buy side, you know, I have to look out for, for, for my employer and make sure this is a solid transaction. And so we go back to that risk mitigation. And if I was not able to mitigate those risks, let's say it's an intellectual property issue where the small business was infringing on a major uh, competitor that had all the, 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 the patents very well protected, and therefore sales were in jeopardy going forward. And they weren't allowed to help me you know, uh, limit those risks. Then I might have to walk away. That's rare. We usually can come to a meeting of the minds. Great. So, Jim, uh, this has been terrific. Um, I believe you know we've 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 covered a number of areas that's going to give the seller some perspective from where the buyer's looking at things. Um, I'm going to have you come back if you don't mind, and I'm going to switch the tables on you. And now that you're a sell side rep, and talk about some of the things you learn, uh, I hope you can join us again for our next episode. I'd love to, Keith. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having us today. Yeah. Uh, my name's Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Uh, you can contact us on our website at osageadvisors.com or give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or feel free to shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Thanks for joining us today and have a great day. <laughs>